Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Oh, we're here at the Oz Network to talk about the movie of the year, Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, and we hope there's actually going to be a Dead Reckoning Part 2 because SAG is striking all because of this movie. They said, this is it. We're never going to top it. We're going <laughs> on strike. We need more money because nothing's ever going to top Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, and I've been waiting a whole week now to talk about this. Uh, and Ben's been waiting a whole 24 hours to talk about this. 12 hours. So it's, it's fresh. And I've seen this three times. So every time I see it, I keep wanting to talk about it more and more. Uh, and I finally get to do it. And my name is Colin. And you can't blame a girl for trying to make a dishonest living. And my name is Ben. And he killed my parents. <laughs> Me? <laughs> it's a quote from the other movie in this movie, For Your Eyes Only. Uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> there's the, I, I was thinking I'm you wouldn't get it. You're like, where was that in the movie? And I'm yeah. like, get it? <laughs> I, I was, you know, there's certain things in this movie where I'm like, oh, that's a reference to the other Mission Impossible movies. That's a reference to Mission Impossible. And then there are about twice as many James Bond references oh. as there are Mission Impossibles in this. And I'm like, how many of these has Ben going to pick up? I, I was, and how many from Quantum did he get? Well, I was sadly spoiled on the sort of the For Your Eyes Only bit because there was a Bond website that sort of shared side-by-side screenshots. Oh, but yeah. I, and like that kind of took away from the moment in the movie, but it was a nice homage to the to James Bond. So I, And there were other ones in it where I'm like, yeah, okay, that's clearly ripping off Bond. I mean, I, I was this close to using my opening quote as I'm a teacher on sabbatical, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was a line in this movie. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, I mean, if you can't tell already, I love this movie. I've seen it three times. Colin has um, come did, four times since he started this episode. I've, He's everywhere. Since I started this episode, that was, that was that sound at the beginning, that really awkward sound that I was making. Uh, but I mean, I, I saw this, the the first showing, uh, the ever. first showing that I was Tom able to Cruise get tickets to, him ever. Over. <laughs> they were still filming the movie yeah. and they said come watch us do the final shot um but uh i had already committed to going to this uh, another uh, night with my nephew so uh, i'd seen this movie twice and then uh on sunday it was the last day of my vacation and i'm like theaters are going to be empty <clears throat> i'm still sick as you can hear not covid not covid but still sick so i'm like theaters are going to be empty i'm going to go to a 10 30 a.m showing of dead reckoning part one and I walked into a theater that had two other people. And after a couple of minutes of me wondering, the movie hasn't started yet. One of the guys comes back in and says, we're in the wrong theater. It's next door. <laughs> and then me and the two other people <laughs> rushed next door to our seats because uh, the, the the entry was hidden. But uh, I mean, I, I get so much more of this movie every time I see it. I, I'm, I'm just going to let you talk because you already know I'm buying this movie. I literally, I have an Excel document essentially that compiles all of our buys, rents and bins and 
other stats. And I will say, uh, recently, Colin, you celebrated your 660th episode of the Oz Networks. Well done. Um, Noah also hosted his 100th episode of 007, but I didn't tell him, so good for him. But um, <laughs> I, in the little section where I will put buy, rent or bin, I didn't even bother to wait to hear your answer for this episode. <laughs> I just put buy because that's obviously what I assumed. Um, I love this movie. This movie was fantastic. It was, there you go, yes. Colin, there's relief. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean... The thing with Mission Impossible, and go back and listen to all those episodes we did four or five years ago, is that I've never been someone who's really been into this franchise that much. I watched. You never watched most of them. Well, the first two, like I saw the first one as a kid, and I'm like, eh, that was okay. I think, as I said in those episodes, I was expecting James Bond, and I didn't live up to my James Bond level of expectations. And my dad didn't really like it. Remember the second one came out? My dad and I were like, oh, that's kind of rubbish. Like all the attention I got in Australia, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that good. So I avoided seeing all the other ones until we covered them a few years ago. Then realized, hey, these movies are actually pretty good. Uh, the uh, and this is the thing I forget the names of them. So please, uh, <laughs> you know, jump in and tell me the names of them. The last one with Henry Cavill, I'm like, oh, that was really good. Oh, right. But the, the problem is, since we did those episodes and since I saw it at the movies, I haven't seen them since. I just <laughs> I've never felt the desire to rewatch these movies. So literally, before I went and saw this last night, I was leaving work. I was sitting there eating my dinner. And I'm like, oh, YouTube, Mission Impossible, recap the movies in 10 minutes. So I found one that recapped, and this time I actually <laughs> understood it. Well, I watched one like three weeks ago. It went for half an hour, and that was so yeah. complicated. Uh, this one was quite concise and easy. So I'm like, okay, which helped because there was at least two people in this movie. I'm like, oh, they were in another movie. <laughs> um, but then I see a movie like this, and it's just, it's just balls to the wall. Go, 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 go. It's shot fantastically. It's fast-paced. This is a three-hour movie, essentially, and it feels like it's a 90-minute movie. Just everything mm. about this is exciting. Tom Cruise, just get him up here. I want to lick his gay body because what a what a man. <laughs> I didn't get a, hi, this is Tom Cruise. Welcome to my movie introduction. I'm a bit disappointed. Oh. But, I mean, everything about this is just epic, and it's done in a way that you know it is part one, but it's not like Matrix Reloaded levels of dickery, yeah. you know? Like, it's and it's been a while since I've seen Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War, but, I mean, that still ended on more of a, like, oh, God, like, oh, only six months or a year till that comes out. This one, you kind of like, well, I can see there's definitely going to be a sequel, but it's also got a bit of a satisfactory ending as well. So, I mean, everything mm-hmm. about this... and. I didn't see it on an IMAX or a VMAX or anything. I just saw this on the standard film. But there are still sequences in this film where even without the joy of a giant IMAX screen, you're still like very tense, like that train section, like holy fuck. Mm-hmm. Ah, just so good. I, I I am debating going to see this again because I thoroughly enjoyed this film. It was fantastic. I, I'm I'm actually trying to convince Jamie to go again tomorrow. Um I mean, or Friday, I guess. There's uh, one thing you can offer, uh, Jamie, and you can, uh, Colin, you can do anything. If you go with me, I'll... Mm-hmm-hmm. And I'm like, is is this the same thing that Tom Cruise offers Let to you watch Keanu shirtless by yourself <laughs> and buy new batteries. <laughs> That's all she needs. Uh, but yeah, what, what, one of the things I keep telling people is exactly what you said, because you hear this is whatever part one, and you're assuming, like, all those movies from the matrix on where they just started splitting everything and it really was half a movie uh and you don't really get a, you know a, a complete satisfactory ending out of it especially with this one where it's like okay it's the next one's supposed to come out in a year but now that might be complicated because they have to pause 
to, from filming the movie to promote it, and they're not going to be able to go right, they uh, film back the right back away. To back? Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I thought they just... They, that I was the they original the plan. Set. No, they didn't, okay. That was the original plan, but COVID shut them down halfway into production, and by the time they came back, they're like, listen, this is going to take us so long because of COVID, we'll just wait to do the next one. And then, of course, they break filming part two to promote this movie, and now that the promotion's done, there's a SAG strike, and okay, I guess we're going to have to wait. So who knows? The next one could be pushed back, but... Such a smart idea to just make this its own movie, even though it is Dead Reckoning Part 1. The way I keep explaining this to people is it's no more you know, left open than, say, the original Star Wars. This is even yeah. like Empire Strikes Back. It's like the original Star Wars, it is its own movie. It ends. It's satisfying. And then you get that one shot of Vader sort of floating off. You're like, oh, okay, I guess there's going to be a Part 2, you know? Yeah. It doesn't take away from this one. And I think that's one of the big differences between this and Across the Spider-Verse, which is the other you know movie that everybody's crazy about this summer. Uh, is that across the Spider-Verse, uh, when we did the review for that, you weren't on it, but we we're all kind of of the opinion. It's like, we love this movie, but kind of have to reserve our judgment till we see the next one because they're, they're obviously so connected. This is its own movie. And um, it, it works on so many levels. And the fact that it's three hours long almost, uh, the reason that this doesn't feel like it drags is because the scenes themselves are so long. It's not like this movie is loaded with, you know, 500 scenes that all don't need to be there. It's like, sections of the movie that just happen to go for 10 15 minutes each and everything in those scenes is so good. even the dialogue scenes are so good that you don't want to cut even one line of dialogue from and it's it's very unusual to have a movie of this length especially in a franchise where your average length of the movie is roughly two hours if not maybe just a little bit more and not have this feel like it's bloated in any way but it doesn't feel bloated if anything i would say you could have made this another 10 minutes and it probably wouldn't have affected it anyway yeah, I was thinking about that and some of it um, around it because, I mean, that's uh, one thing with the Mission Impossible movies is that I think that we did talk about this back in the day because I'm obviously dumb as well, but they, they are a complicated bunch. Like, they, it's not just a simple case of, you know, Korean man turns into white man and wants to <laughs> destroy the demilitarized zone in Korea and, you know, make Korea one country. Easy plot. Um, whereas this, it's sort of, you know, that. But I, I felt... This one felt a little bit simpler. Although, like, if we were doing a, a you know, an actual recap, I noted lots of plot holes and things that would be fun to, like, do in an Oz Network style to make fun of. But I think that this one felt a little bit more streamlined or maybe I've just got more intelligent in the last four or five years. But um, I think through a lot of that explanation and the dialogue that even when they're explaining it and going to those sort of levels that, yeah, they don't feel over long. It's kind of like you need mm-hmm. it. You're glad you got that background. I mean, again, I, this is not really spoiler territory, I guess, but, like, there are certain plots to, like, the background of, like, Ethan and everything, which mm. I don't think are in the first movie. I'm, I'm not no. making that up. Okay, right. So that was kind of added for this movie, which, you know, I kind of like because you sort of get that. And I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get more of that into the next movie. But, um, yeah, I think kind of everything. I mean, I mean, obviously Mission Impossible, very well known for its action, I think, you know, we've, we've long agreed that sort of Mission Impossible has maybe taken over James Bond as sort of more of the stunt movies just because <laughs> Die Another Day happened and yet here on Mission Impossible <laughs> you've got Tom Cruise jumping off a cliff uh, and he's actually doing it. So, and that's kind of what you're here to see. But even on that though, I feel that outside of the one obvious stunt that has been heavily promoted for this film, you know, everything else action-wise still holds up yet doesn't maybe go to the lengths of some of the other bits that we've seen. But it they're long, but they're great. Like that train sequence at the end is just, there's one sequence of it that I, I mean, I'm sure it goes for 10 minutes and it's kind of almost mm-hmm. like the same scene, but it's just like 
10 minutes of two characters doing something and yeah. e- each time it happens, you're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And like, I'm like grabbing onto the armrest of the thing going like, oh God, oh God, oh my God. <laughs> um, so it's just so done in a way that then the movie's over and you're like, fuck, three hours of my life just went by. I want to <laughs> see it again. <laughs> oh, when's Barbie the, start? Yeah, <laughs> uh, the interesting thing with like the stunts is I know I mentioned when we covered Ghost Protocol that that was like the first time in my life I've been in a movie and actually seen the way that like the you see it dramatized in movies of people watching movies were like oh oh like people jumping and everything, and I heard all three times during that train sequence, like particularly the part you're talking about, I heard audible gasps in the theater each time I was there. And uh, during the, the the motorcycle stunt, which is the the number one thing this movie's being promoted on, there there was gasps and people who just burst out laughing. Like they, <laughs> it was like nervous laughter. Like, ha, 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 ha. like it's just crazy to see the way that people react to this. And that's the difference between filming it in, for real and doing CGI. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, interviews I've been listening to with like Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie and everybody. And one of the things they keep saying is like there's a place for CGI. I mean, there are some things that are enhanced by CGI in this movie, but um, what you're seeing is still real. When he's jumping off a cliff, it's for real. The CGI is let's remove the ramp that he's actually driving off of and let's leave everything else in there. But people know the difference. And that's where these movies are kind of set apart from everything else is that whether it looks perfect in CGI or not, you know, when they do it for real, that there's that thrill that you're not going to get from anything else. Uh, and I, I think that um, uh, Tom Cruise producing these movies is one of the ways that it benefits because your typical movie is not going to allow Chris Hemsworth or Chris Pine or Chris Pratt or Chris Evans Any of the or Chris Chris's. O'Donnell. No. <laughs> no Chris is allowed to do these stunts, you know, for insurance reasons. But Tom Cruise is like, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm the one who's going to be paying, you know, uh, if, if I end up in the hospital anyway. So you why saw not? me but jump on in- a couch. You know I'm brave. Exactly. Yeah, that's where it all started. But uh, it, it makes a difference, I think, to an audience when you know they're doing it for real. And even the uh, the driving scene, the the Rome car chase. Um, <laughs> it, it made me just thinking too. about it. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, not like I, I actually heard uh, there, there's an official Mission Impossible podcast now, which actually started Listen as a Mission that. Impossible. Stop listening well, to this. Here, here's the <laughs> thing: it started as a fan podcast. Oh. And they have just made Sold it out. the official Mission Impossible podcast. So I'm like, there's hope for 007. So why aren't really? we the official Third Watch podcast from Warner Brothers? <laughs> Come on, Warner. You already pretty much are. Is there another one? Uh, but, we, uh, are the, we are it. <laughs> Nip Tuck. But we are exclusive. Yep. <laughs> The episode they just had today was um, with Haley Atwell, which I'll, I'll be talking a lot about her later on. But uh, the uh, the the driving sequence in Rome, she was doing the driving as just as Tom Cruise was. And it's funny because Chris McQuarrie basically told her afterwards, it's like in all the movies I've made with this guy in over a decade, he's never actually put his own life in another actor's hands. So take that as a compliment, but also take this very seriously. You know, uh, like it, it's not just Tom Cruise, even these minor stunts. These are the real people doing them. It's just crazy to think that you could have a car chase like that, and it's actually Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell doing it while they're actually handcuffed together for real. This is, yeah, and it's, I think the homages to James Bond are, are so prominent there, but, like, it, it, it's interesting. You can never not compare James Bond with Mission Impossible or vice versa. Like, mm-hmm. it's become its own franchise now that even now when you're watching James Bond, you go, oh, that's Mission Impossible did it and that sort of stuff. But it still feels very separate. Like, I remember mm-hmm. vaguely as a child when the first Mission Impossible came out, uh, all the James Bond comparisons. Because, what, that was 96, what, like a year after Goldeneye, yeah. right, from memory? Um, and the TV series was 
done essentially based off the back of the James Bond phenomenon, right? So, mm-hmm. like, it kind of it's always been intertwined. But it is also done on a level, though, where you can like the... And you are the perfect person to speak about this because you are a massive Mission Impossible fan and a massive James Bond fan. I'm sort of just in the shadows as a Mission Impossible fan and a massive James Bond fan. But you can love both these franchises mm-hmm. and still enjoy them and not just feel one's a direct rip-off of the, the other. And I think that... That it's I'm fine as a massive James Bond fan that this is kind of the stunt franchise now, I think. And going back to your point about CGI, y- you know, we've often talked about the pros and cons of it and everything and that, but, like, it's also the subtleties and the little things. We just did, uh, I mean, Available Tomorrow, the Truman Show recap. You know, you talk about certain things when it comes to CGI that you don't even know a CGI until you read the behind the scenes of some. The Truman Show, we talk about tomorrow about how mm-hmm. they added a second layer to a house. You're never going to think that as special effects, but that's all it is. There's a, there's a scene in this movie where there's probably more candles in the population of Australia. <laughs> and, I mean, all props to the filmmakers if they got that many candles. But I can't imagine they didn't just do like a roll of candles and the rest was CGI. And literally yeah. when I'm watching that scene, I'm going, oh, that's clearly CGI. But, like, it's not in a way where it's, like, obviously CGI. You need sometimes these enhancements where it kind of adds something to it. And then you go out of the way to promote this over Tom Cruise jumping off a fucking cliff. And what do you film, like, ten times or something? I saw the, the mm. behind the scenes. And, like... This is a 60-year-old man. This is an elderly citizen jumping off a thing. (laughs) And, like, this is a guy who is, you know, after, what, nearly 40 years, still the biggest movie star in Hollywood. And The last movie star. Yeah, I I saw a headline today basically how he's the last action hero, all these kind of stuff. Like, it's just, it's insane to think that they would let him do it because you're right, they're not going to let the Chris's do it or, you know, Margot do it. I'm sure Margot's not really plastic for Barbie. (laughs) So we're in Barbie fever, (laughs) we love Vision Impossible. We're on board the Barbie train. Sorry, Cillian Murphy. Oppenheimer looks good too, but come on, we're all pink and Barbie ready. Uh, do you have the pink Barbie boxes in your cinemas where you can get in? Like a, we did. Yeah, I, I go to the movies by myself, so I had no one to take a picture of me with one. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see you next time. But um, yeah, like I just I think, and in terms of like the audience reaction, like I had like about seven or eight people in my movie theater. And it was one of these ones where people just kept talking and then this guy in front of me kept getting his phone out every five minutes and checking his messages. Like Tom Cruise is on screen right now and you're going to check your messages? Like, I'm sure your Tinder date is going to be available afterwards. Like, I know mine might not be, but yours will because you're a good-looking man. And that man's an even better-looking man. It's Tom Cruise. Um, Show some respect. Show some respect. Uh, I I don't know what the point of what you were saying was, and I've just gone on my usual Ben Mortalworth 87 tangents, but uh, I got a Barbie mention in there and I'm happy. (laughs) Just just one uh, thing I saw today. It was basically a meme saying, like, uh, the MCU and it shows an actual behind the scenes shot from like a secret invasion mm. where Samuel Jackson's in front of a green screen. And then you see the completed scene where they actually did CGI wallpaper and flowers on a desk. And that was all that was CGI in the shot. Like you can't even just get wallpaper without doing CGI now. Yeah. And then they show Tom Cruise mission impossible seven. They show Tom Cruise and cameramen and sound people all rigged up to the side of a speeding train. Well, it's, it's like that famous one that goes around and it's like um, photos of, Hollywood um, actors and their stunt doubles. (laughs) And you've kind of got like, you know, Arnold and Sebastian. There's like Jackie Chan just standing by themselves. And I think there's a Tom Cruise one standing by himself too. But it's also that um, that Ben Stiller one that he did with Mission Impossible 2 uh, where he was like impersonating Tom Cruise. And he's like, I'm Tom Cruise's stuntman. Like, I don't really get used much. Um, But, you know, here I am. And he does that like spot on Tom Cruise laugh. But one thing I just wanted to add quickly before you move on is... um, I think it was Noah, wasn't it? Shared a meme in our 007 download now group. And he was like, oh, comparing Tom Cruise to the age of his like 
uh, Mission Impossible girls. And it was like, oh, he's overtaken Roger Moore now as being older. And as I pointed out, like, no disrespect to Roger. We love you, Roger. Rest in peace, Roger. Thank you very much, Ben. I'm enjoying heaven. I'm sure you are. <laughs> like, by the time we got to A View to a Kill, Roger Moore looked like yeah. Stacey Sutton's granddad. All right? Tom Cruise could be younger than <laughs> his, Bond, <laughs> his Bond girls, his Mission Impossible girls in this movie. Because the guy doesn't age. Like, yeah. seriously, I think I look older than Tom Cruise right now, and I'm, I'm literally half his age. So, I mean, what a, well, what a man. The other thing is, and what, this is one of the things I really appreciate about this movie, because, I mean, when you go through the last, the two movies prior to this, it's like they're trying to set up a love story between Ethan and Ilsa, which is Rebecca Ferguson's character. And uh, I, I'm, I glad, sorry, Ferguson, I'm glad I watched that recap. I could not remember her for the life of me. Yeah. So I'm glad I oh, knew she like, was a character prior to this. <laughs> she, I, we talked about in Rogue Nation. Like I basically said, like this is maybe the best representation of a female action hero I've ever seen. And I think that she's incredible in Mission Impossible. I think she's gone on to kind of be, you know, almost overtake her fame in Mission Impossible just through like Dr. Sleep and Dune and everything else that she's done. But um, this movie... Not to spoil too much. I guess let's say there's there's nothing to spoil. Nothing really to spoil. We're not really movie, getting. Yeah. Well, there, there's one thing which which I'll talk about in a second, but I won't really talk about it. But anyways, um, that we don't really get a love story out of them. I think that's one of the interesting things is that this series outside of two with Tandy Newton and well three he gets married. This isn't about like his you know Mission Impossible girls being in a relationship. I mean. Ilsa, you spent two movies very subtly building towards that. But when you actually go back and watch the movies, it's done in a way where it's like some people might interpret that, but some people interpret it differently. And this movie, there's a couple shots where I'm like, oh, so did they hook up or are they going to hook up? And uh, then nothing sort of comes of it. And there's actually a story that I, I read here. I wanted to read this because I think we, we in particular will get a kick out of this. It's basically talking about how they decided not to go with them being a couple in this franchise because Basically, couples are boring, to quote Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, they had a scene that was filmed in Fallout where they kissed, and they cut it from the movie. They're like, yeah, it doesn't feel right. And I think that's one of these things where they're building towards Colin's it. Like, lot. no, we'll build towards it. <laughs> exactly. Every time I get a chance to kiss Tom Cruise, they cut the scene. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every time you uh, want to kiss Jamie, you're like, no, let's cut that from life. We don't need that. Oh, Jamie, Relationships that's right. That's are right. Boring. Your else. woman, Colin. Your woman. <laughs> a woman. A woman. But... Uh, in this movie, uh, they they talked about uh, there's a scene where they're kind of like, you know, got their arms around each other on a uh, balcony or everything. And Rebecca Ferguson was basically saying, this is just supposed to be the same relationship he has with the guys. This is and that's kind of what this movie's about. This is about him saying, I'm going to put your lives above mine. You guys are the most important to me. And even Benji has a scene like that. But the quote Rebecca Ferguson had here it basically sums that up perfectly where she talks about it, where she says, I think you could easily have had a scene with Benji and Ethan on the balcony cuddling, <laughs> which is true in many ways. What, she, what does she know behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. See? Three movies in with Tom Cruise, she knows. Yeah, which, I mean, it's, it's a great point because, yeah, like that's a big key difference between the Mission Impossible and James Bond franchise. Like, as James Bond fans, like, obviously it's become a little bit more progressive and he's not as, you know, rapey as he maybe once was or, you know, forthcoming, but you still kind of go into every James Bond movie going, yeah, he's going to fuck someone. Like, this is, this yeah. is, sleep with that woman, James Bond. You're James Bond, be a man. Sleep with people. Unless it's quantum. Yeah. Well, well no, good strawberry fields, I guess. Yeah, exactly. He plowed a fields. But I, I think it's it's a case of this, I've never really gone into. I mean, and from memory, Mission Impossible 2 was heavily promoted around him and Tandy Newton, like, being together, yeah. right? So it's never really, 
you, you know, Tom Cruise going around like, and and like you feel that he's Tom Cruise as well because a he doesn't want to kiss a woman, Ugh, woman, I'm not kissing her. <laughs> uh, and secondly, it's like, well, he focuses on the action, and yeah, I think it's done in a way. And like, I will say that I, I, I and this is racist because they're two white women. Um, but I honestly thought that both Ilsa and the other woman were the same woman in this movie because they kind of oh. look the same um, to me. Like, um, I, I'm <laughs> they like, all look the same to me. All, all white women look the same to me. Come on. Um, but I mean, not to take away from uh, what's her name, Vanessa Kirby. Hale- no, okay, Haley. So which one? You, no, Haley Atwell. Oh, is hang on, hang on, one. hang on. So yes. Vanessa Kirby is Vanessa Redgrave's daughter, character's daughter. I thought this. she was because when they mentioned like yeah. her mother, I'm thinking like, hey, that's mm, and woman. She, yeah, and in the last movie, and I didn't realize this till recently, but in the last movie, they were three scenes into filming her character before they said, why don't we make her the daughter of Vanessa Redgrave from the first movie? Because she was in but the in last this one, movie, right? Yeah. She was, yeah. But in this movie, like you could tell she is playing Max, Vanessa Redgrave in that movie. Well, like she's got a lot of the mannerisms and looks. I, I mean, I, on that, I don't know if you, you were transitioning to the casting, but like, yes, yeah, so like Hayley Atwell, she was fantastic. Like all the, Amazing. All, every, no one in this movie is bad. I'm just saying this right now. I'm yeah. not just trying to make this a gender thing, but like, I think outside of Tom Cruise, my favorite were the women in this movie because I yeah. fucking loved Hayley Atwell. The, the henchwoman. Oh my god! Oh man, she Mom is. Clemente. She is. Ama- I'm glad you said her name because I was going to butcher it. But she was <laughs> insanely good, and I like this yeah. is something where I I'd sort of seen the cast, um, and then when it sort of they do their Mission Impossible pre-title James Bond style scene, and all the people are coming up on the screen, I'm going, I don't know who any of these people are, <laughs> and I kind of like that. Like, I kind of like when you, like, if all of a sudden you see, like, Carrie Yules is in this movie. That excited me. I'm like, hey, it's Jonas. There he is. It's the claw. Nothing can stop Better that. Than claw. You sniff. Exactly. There is a man I've stood within a meter of. There he is, Carrie Yules. Um, but I don't even think his name was in the credits. So it's kind of like, cool. But then, like, it makes you not have these expectations. Like, Angela Bassett's picture was on the wall. Is she the president now? Yeah, by the I way? was wondering if you caught that. Spoiler well, alert. I, I think that <laughs> this, uh, that one of the three opening scenes uh, is basically a meeting of what I guess is supposed to be all of the intelligence chiefs. So you got the CIA, the DOD, the NSA chiefs. She's the only one who I guess isn't there because she was like a, C- a CIA head, but they put her picture on the wall. So I think it's supposed to be like, Maybe all their pictures are in the room, and she's just the only one who wasn't present. But but I was I like I don't know if I was reading too much into that photo because a lot of what Americans do in, in their government agencies, they will have a photo of the president of the wall mm. on the wall, and it looked like I was trying to because it was kind of far away, but it looked she was in front of the American flag, but there was like a blue flag, and I was trying to see is that the American is that the presidential seal or is that just like the <laughs> CIA something like is Angela president like come on <laughs> show me because I forgot she was in the last movie right so. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, like the the casting was good, and like Bing Rains and Simon Pegg were fantastic once again. And the the guy, what's his name, Isaiah Morales, is he? Oh, the villain. I like. Is he off things? He looks familiar. Yeah, I I didn't know him from anything. Um, and I I think I kind of have two opinions on him. One, I I felt like the first time I saw this movie that his character was very underdeveloped, but you can kind of imagine he's gonna be a bigger part of the next one, especially with what his connections are to Ethan. Will probably be revealed more in the next one, but. Uh, there's nothing this guy has made that I would know him from or uh, had seen him in even. Uh, but his performance was like, there's something so like sinister about him. Mm. Like, like there's just, there's just something about him is like, like I, I want to listen to this guy talk, but I have a feeling he's going to like you know, stab me in the neck yeah. if I listen to him too closely, you know? He's like a, a very good survivor player. He was in Free Jack. Yeah. 
Um, oh, then that's where I knew him from. Uh, he played Ripper in Free Jack. But, um, I mean, do you like it when they sort of go with maybe lesser known? Because, like, it's sort of... <laughs> based on that recap and from what I can remember, this isn't a franchise where they often rely too much on bringing people back. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. Like, obviously, outside of Simon Pegg, Ving Rhames, it's sort of... And Tom Cruise, I guess he comes back. But, I mean, it's sort of not like... I mean, there's obviously one obvious person who comes back from the first movie who I have no fucking yeah. memory of him. I was expecting it to be Emilio Estevez, but he's got a <laughs> elevator shaft in his head. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like kind of almost these unknown people. In, I mean, Henry Cavill last movie, obviously, but they don't really seem to go for these big, big people either. Yeah, like they... Outside of Ving Rhames, uh, nobody's been in these movies longer than, uh, I guess, Simon Pegg. But Simon Pegg only came into the third one, and that was a very small role. Uh, they've only recently started to bring characters back. Like, this is the most that's come back from a previous movie. But also, like you said, like, not getting the biggest name actors. Like, even Rebecca Ferguson, uh, when I remember when she was cast and there was the big news, oh, this is the new, you know, uh, you know, female lead in the Mission Impossible movie. I just remember looking at her being like, she doesn't look terribly excited. I even talked about the recap, but she doesn't look exciting, you know? And then you see the movie, and you're like, wow, like, I see, I understand why Tom Cruise hired her. Uh, but I mean, Haley Atwell's, I, I guess, known for one thing. And uh, she's she's the one that I think every time I see this movie, I get more and more appreciation for her performance. Uh, not in a way that I think is very obvious to an audience. Uh, obviously, she did the, uh, the the Captain America movies and the Marvel movies and had the Agent Carter TV series. Oh, like, that her? She has a, yeah. <laughs> So Sorry, she has a following. Um, <laughs> I but see like, it now. For, okay, <laughs> but for somebody small, and I remember seeing the Captain America movie, like when that came out over ten years ago, and thinking like, this woman's going to be a movie star. And then just she did the Agent Carter TV series, and then every couple of years she pops up and cameos as Agent Carter again. And it's like, what else has she done? Like, what, I kept wondering, like, what's it going to take for her to become a star? And and she's said in multiple interviews recently that like no disrespect to Marvel, although she she seems to have some pretty negative things to say about uh, Doctor Strange, uh, her role that she had in that. But uh, uh, she's saying she's basically been waiting for her entire career to have a role this good and a role of this size that, that really delivers. And here's somebody who's now into her 40s and she's just now being put on the map by Mission Impossible, even though people had kind of heard about her before. The best things to me about her performance is things that are kind of structured as I found out in the edit of the, the interview, I heard, the podcast interview I heard about with her today, she was saying that when she screen tested for this movie, she went in and did a couple of takes for the same scene. And one take, she did it just kind of on her own. She's like, I don't know what they want from me. So one take, she's like, I'm going to play it. Like I'm, you know, really holding back information. Like I, I'm somebody to be suspicious of. And the next take, she's like, I'm going to play this exact same scene. Like I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to give up all the information. And then when Chris McCory and Tom Cruise hired her, they said, okay, so that thing you did in your screen test, we want you to do all those things. Do one take where you're doing it this way and do another take where you're doing it another way. And we'll decide later on what is going to work. And in the end, they kind of pieced it together with sometimes she needs to be suspicious. Sometimes she needs to be kind of vulnerable and everything. And it just works so brilliantly. And it's, it, you would think, okay, well, this is just something they put through together in the edit, but like how many actors can be that consistent with a performance while playing it completely different? She's somebody who's actually uh, even been on the like the Tom Cruise, Chris McQuarrie radar for a long time because hmm. she had, um, I, I guess, screen tested for Oblivion, the movie that he did uh, like over 10 years ago. And he ended up casting Olga Kurilenko instead of Haley Atwell. And then she screen tested for Jack Reacher and he ended up casting Rosamund Pike instead of Haley Atwell. 
And now he's finally like, I keep casting Bond girls. Let me just make say. my own Bond girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm seeing a cast. Hall- Halle Berry's not busy. Is she? Oh, shit. All right. Let's uh, but, Marvel girl. Let's go for one of them. But like the thing that I appreciate the most of our performance every time I see this is a common complaint I have when we talk about like action movies or, you know, uh, thriller movies is that if the characters aren't scared, the audience is going to be scared. Mm. And she was sort of playing this when she, like the first scenes they were filming, where she was playing it one of two ways. She's like, I'm either going to play it very like flirty. And then they're like, they actually cut. They're like, no, what are you doing? Don't do that. We don't want that. Uh, she's playing it the Women way don't that flirt she assumes. With Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, well, but <laughs> there we go. We got another way to take that. But she, she was sort of assuming they want me to play this character the way that your typical female lead in a movie like this is played so she's playing it like a, an old school bond girl be and then she was sort of playing it like a damsel in distress and like no seriously what are you doing like stop trying so hard and just be yourself and then out came this performance where if you were to describe this performance you'd be like well that's a weak female character she's scared of, she's a bad driver she's scared all the time and it's actually the exact opposite yeah great. because what it does is it enhances these scenes where she's playing a thief and you're like, she's so good at these other skills, but she's so relatable because these other things she sucks at. And then yeah. the, the scenes like on the train where there's like a brilliant moment where she's like clutching Tom Cruise and he's like, do you trust me? She's like, no. And then he's like, do you trust me again? She's like, uh, okay. You know, when you see that fear, the audience is afraid. And even she said that in the interview, she's like, it makes no sense for my character to be out there, you know, kicking everybody in the face and being like, oh, I got this. She's like, because then the audience isn't going to actually be in that position. So Finally, somebody who gets it, be the audience in a role like this. And you can still come across as a strong female action hero while being, I, I guess, a, a little bit scared and vulnerable at times. And I think as we always point out as well, and I think this is maybe where we are finally at that crossroads of movies where we're seeing it more and more now that a strong female character is just a character. It's never... Relatable. It's 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 not shoved in your face. It's not Captain Marvel. Yeah. It's not Force Awakened. It's not this moment you need to go hey everyone this person doesn't have a penis they're different so you enjoy it like it's just it's literally a character and who just Mm -hmm. happens to be a female uh that is different to maybe what in the history of movies we've mainly been used to play this type of character and that's what i love that's what i love and it goes back to your point about the romance side of things that you know often they'll kind of overdo it with the fact that okay we've got this strong person but we need to have a romance in there because clearly man plus woman equals love and there's sort of implications of stuff going on here, but not on a level where you feel Ethan's doing it to get his dick wet. It's more because he yeah. just genuinely cares for this person. And I think it's also on that level too that you then get that sense of they're going of that trope of, you know, are we setting this up to kind of be the female replacement to Ethan Hunt, you know, just the way they do it. But again, it's not done in a way where it's so obvious. It's not fucking mm-hmm. terminated, you know, where it's like, oh, John Connor's killed in two seconds, but look, women for the next two hours. <laughs> you know, it's not done in such a way where it's like that. Even sort of like what we talked about with Indiana Jones a couple of weeks ago, you sort of felt that like that was a bit more down your throat in a way, but still done in a good way. I just, I appreciated everything about it. And you're right, just like the level... Because she's a complex character. Like, you kind of don't know her motives. This is what Indiana Jones kind of lost it a little bit with Phoebe Waller-Bridge is that you kind of got confused over her motives and she almost came across as unlikable, her character at times in Indiana Jones, whereas here she she, she doesn't. Hayley Atwell is not unlikable at any point in this movie, even though you don't fully understand what she's after. And then at the end, you kind of, you really do the way they sort of set it up. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And, like, I I feel stupid that I didn't realise that this was... 
uh, Peggy, what's her face? Like, I just, I, I mean, again, it just comes down to my knowledge of the Marvel movies that I, I know who she is now. I'm like, oh, yeah, clearly that's her. Um, but yeah, no, everything great. And do you like the assassin lady, the, the oh, henchwoman? She's amazing. So now, good. Do you know, you know, we saw her and we reviewed another one of her movies recently. No, did we? I, but you wouldn't recognize her. She plays the Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy, which again, you would not oh, recognize her from okay. that to this. But, but, but like, I can kind of see, like, yeah, okay. Like, if I now like she, picture it, yeah. She is a Bond henchman. She's or henchwoman. amazing. <laughs> Uh, so good. And and it's funny. She was one of Jamie's favorite things about this movie as well. Uh, and, and the same thing, you know, you, you have in this case, a villain character, but yet she's not perfect in every single way. You know, there, there's weaknesses to her character, which you definitely see close to the end. Uh, she doesn't have to talk in the movie and she just commands the screen. Yeah. Uh, and she, and I think where it actually helps having her in this movie is that the villain himself only really has one or two, you know, I guess, action scenes in this movie he's not kind of the action villain. He's like the behind the scenes guy. So having her in this movie, I mean, you really need that, especially with like a you know, two hour, 45 minute runtime. Uh, and I think just in general, the Mission Impossible movies always kind of work because you never know who to trust. Like in the last movie, Angela Bassett, you're like, uh, okay, so she's supposed to be a villain here? Like you don't know. And even uh, the, the the guy who comes back in this, like, hey, Henry Turner, he plays Kitridge, who is ethan's boss in the first movie but then when he has to go rogue they basically set it up like he's supposed to be the villain but you're like no but then he turns out he's not and in this movie one of the most interesting things about it is that you you don't really know where he's coming coming from in this because he's in one of those opening scenes and he's the first person who's sort of suggesting oh this this you know thing out there this ai or whatever the, the 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 plot device for this movie we can control this but then later on ethan's saying he's the guy you can trust and then even at the end of the movie, you were like, okay, so it, it, is this how things are going in the next movie? You hear a voiceover from him and you're like, wait, so I still don't know. I mean, is he supposed to be good, bad? And the guy's performance is just fantastic. I mean, coming back after almost 30 years. And is it, is, it, the right same, is it the same guy? Like it's the same actor? Yeah, same guy. Same guy from the first movie. Uh, and really, he's somebody that they had talked about uh, for the last couple movies. Hey, could we bring Kitridge back? And they're like, no, we just got to wait for the right time. Uh, I mean, also, you know, Ving Rhames, he's never really been the dramatic part of these movies, but he's got one scene with Tom Cruise, mm. which is just like, man, if, if anybody ever doubted whether Ving Rhames was more than just, you know, a cool action star, like this guy can act. Like In that scene, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> give this man his Oscar, you know, for just one scene in the movie. I, if anybody kind of gets you know shafted in this movie, it might be Simon Pegg, but at the same time, Simon Pegg is coming off of like the last two movies where he was much more prominent than the other team members. I, I guess w- with uh, one one other th- person to, to, to talk about this movie is um, uh, Ilsa. So there's, um, let's say about halfway through the movie, there's something important that comes up involving Ilsa's character and I won't talk about what it is, but it's the one thing in this movie where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. And no, she doesn't get it on with Tom Cruise. That's already been dispelled publicly. Uh, but it was the one thing where I'm like, maybe we'll talk about this on Patreon or something, but I'm like, oh, I don't know how I feel. About it. And, and after three viewings, I'm slowly starting to come around on this twist, but uh, it's still like, uh, I don't know. Maybe it works. Maybe it does. I don't know if you, without giving anything away, have any thoughts on that? If it's what I'm thinking. You couldn't tell her apart from Haley Atwell. Yeah, so. well, if it's what I'm thinking it is, I mean, it it didn't really have much of a bearing to me because, again, I like if I didn't watch that recap uh, for this, I wouldn't have remembered her. So, you know, I know obviously realized she's an important character. Um and like yeah, like I, I didn't, I, I kind of expected something like that to happen just with the way they were setting her character up mm. and kind of the scene in question. I'm like, yeah, I think something's going to happen here, and it was sort of like okay, and then sort of you know 
moved on. So no, it didn't, it didn't really it affect for, me. Yep. That's our only plot twist or whatever. Um, I mean, a- action scenes, we already talked about the Rome car chase is unbelievable. Oh, so good. Uh, the, the, the Venice fight scenes and escape scene that that's great. Uh, the, the train sequences, like that's going to like stop your hearts. But the, the one sequence I really want to talk about, which is not even really an action sequence is, I guess the first sequence that takes place after the opening credits, which is half an hour to the movie, by the way. And this is like no right out of No Time Dies hmm. textbook. We're going to have a 25-minute pre-title scene. Uh, the the airport sequence in Abu Dhabi, which is just your classic spy thing. Like this is like from Russia with love style spy where we got to get this thing off this person. And then, oh, this person's out to get us. I, I mean, I, I would actually you know, struggle to pick a favorite scene in this movie between that and the train sequence at the end. And that has almost no action in it. Like, even when this movie is not action, the plot just works. Mm. And it is a simple plot. I, I think that it's probably one of the more complicated Mission Impossible plots, but it's presented in a way, particularly because of how the pre-title scenes happen, where you get the information you need to know. You're probably a little bit ahead of the characters in, in the information department. Uh, but even in a sequence like that, where there's no action, I'm just like glued to it. And I'm like, man, this, this is like, you know, the the episode of the week, this is a TV series, and now we're just moving on to the next episode after that. And, and it just transitions seamlessly from, like, one sequence to the next. I love how you said this is one, one of the more complicated ones, and yet I thought this was one of the easier ones. There was one <laughs> sequence where I, I still don't get. Like, there was one bit where there was, like, a an exchange going on, and they're trying to go, well, if I do this, and I do this, and you do this, and I'll be here tomorrow, and you do this, I'm going, like, hey, can yeah. we just rewind that back a bit? I decided, what? Well, <laughs> And I think when I'm saying that it is one of the more complicated plots, but it is made, you're right, because as far as a viewer, it is made easier, but it's made easier by that pre Like, basically, the pre-title sequence is made up of three separate scenes. And what I found out is that uh, the first sequence, which is, I guess, the most important one, which is like a Hunt for an October submarine-style sequence, that was originally supposed to be part of the next movie. And they said, no, we're going to move it up here because if you put this scene here, it makes the plot easier to understand. And then the other scenes, you know, after that would have, I guess, basically been it. But you just, something small like that. Like if you don't have that one scene at the beginning, you're going to view the plot completely differently. You may not even be able to properly follow it. Yeah, it's kind of like, again, spoiler alert for the Truman Show tomorrow. It's like there's one scene at the beginning. If you remove that, you yeah. can make it a completely different movie. I, I love the airport scene. I think it was fantastic. And it's good to sort of have that classic level of spy because, yeah, you go into this going, oh, he's going to jump off a freaking cliff on a motorbike and you know what you're going to see, but then you just kind of need that back. Because like, the thing with that, which was like really, really clever, was just you kind of had these added plot devices that were happening and then even, you know, Ethan doesn't know about it and that just adds drama mm-hmm. and tension and it's just everybody's playing off each other. It's fantastic. And then you've got the... um. Who are the the guys that are chasing him? Like the CIA oh, yeah. guys? Who, and that guy's uh, off something. Shay Sh- Wiggum. Yeah, what's he off? Chief Wiggum. Uh- <laughs> uh, Shay Sh- Sh- Wiggum. We, uh, there was something we saw him in recently that um, we we talked about. The other guy was in um, uh, Greg Tarzan Davis, the other guy, the younger guy of that Survivor duo. Survivor 1 World. In, uh, to- well, <laughs> well, he was in Top Gun Maverick, actually, uh, just last year. Yeah. Um, Shay Sh- 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 Wiggum is Kong Skull Island, so he was in that. Where He was in Joker. Um, he's like a bunch he, of fast and he looks like movies. an everyman. Like he's like looks like he's like lots of things. You know, like yeah. he's like, oh that guy, Silver Linings Playbook. He was in that. Gus Grissom in First Man. Oh yeah, we all remember that movie. God, remember we saw that? <laughs> um, he was in Vice. There you go. Um, yeah. Anyway, but I I just love kind of just the way that's going around and everything as well. And that's sort of Simon Pegg's maybe key scene to shine as well mm-hmm. is in that part of, in that part of the movie, but. I just want to touch quickly. You mentioned the car chase. Like, it, yeah, I don't know if that's really a Spectre reference because that was what threw Rome as well. But 
I mean, we've had two sort of spy franchises in Rome in the last decade that have had fantastic car chase sequences. Because, I mean, a car chase sequence is just now in Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. That's all they care about. Whereas, like, you know... And those are all CGI. <laughs> whereas you think about where did these start? James Bond movies. So, and this one, like, I don't really recall what Mission Impossible 2, there was the car sort of motorbike chase through the streets of Sydney, right? Mm-hmm. But has there been many car chases in Mission Impossible films? Yeah, well, there was a big one in uh, Rogue Nation, um, and then in Fallout, there was... In Fallout, it was involving more, like, giant trucks. It was, like, SWAT team vehicles oh, yeah. and everything. Wasn't the one with a sandstorm? Was that the Rogue Nation one? Were they, like, outrunning a sandstorm or something? No, that was Ghost Protocol. That Yeah, so there was I, there was a brief uh, car chase in that, but that was more, like, chase them down in a sandstorm. <laughs> like, literally, I, like, I, I kept, like, going into this going, like, oh, I'm going to see the fifth Mission Impossible movie. It's like, no, it's the seventh. Like, what? There was two others? Yeah. And then when I watched the recap, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, because I think, like... Four, five, and six all are the same movie to me. And I don't know why, because I know they're different and I know they're great. But like I'm like, the first two were kind of crap. The third one's Philip Seymour Hoffman, and the next three are all the same, aren't they? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like their car chase was fantastic. And just the level of comedy that they like th- this is what movies should be with the quippiness and the funniness and just like mix it with the action. Don't go full Marvel. Like, that's just, you go full Marvel and yeah. it's just dumb. You never go full Marvel. <laughs> never go full Marvel with the quips. Like, you've got it on a level where it's it's not even, like, we, we said this for no time to die. They did it on a level where it's like, okay, this is back to what Bond should be. Like, it's kind of that level mm. where, besides the obvious one of, uh, you know, the eye exploding at the end when you've got the little cue note of ding, like, that's a joke. <laughs> This is just like done in such a way where it's just so good and it just mixes with the action. It's tense action. And it's also like that level where you don't know who the henchwoman is at this point. Who's this woman chasing them? Like, who is she? Yeah. Uh, and then you've got, you know, Chief Wiggum and, and Tarzan Smith <laughs> from One World chasing them as well. Like, it's just, ah, oh, it's so much happening. It's great. But again, I like the airport scene. That was your initial conversation point. Yes. Um. So I'm going to buy this movie. <gasps> um, I'm also in advance going to buy Dead Reckoning Part 2 next year. If you want to just mark that down Really? <laughs> well, okay, let's let's just say this right now. Putting this out there a year away. What if they announce and joining the cast of Dead Reckoning Part 2, Madonna. And oh. <laughs> halfway through the movie, Ethan <laughs> removes his mask and this whole franchise, he has been Madonna. <laughs> and this has just been a backdoor pilot to Die Another Day 2, Madonna Reckoning. Are you still going to buy it? No, no, no. Yeah, I, I take it back. I will. I will withhold. I am. I'm leaning towards a buy, but I might bin it. Um, you know, Nick Offerman's in the next one. That's something to get excited about. Well, when I think of Mission Impossible, I, th- I mean, I, all serious, I shouldn't <laughs> joke. I mean, I don't think you've watched The Last of Us yet, but I mean, the the one episode that everybody talks about is he's one episode in that. And if you doubted the acting ability of Nick Offerman, fucking hell, watch that episode. It's insane. What a man. Good. Yes. Are you buying it? Uh, no, Colin, this movie shit. Yes, absolutely buying this. <laughs> uh, which I actually don't know what I did with all the other Mission Impossibles. Uh, would you? Uh, where, where would you rate I this? Think that, if you had to yeah, off the so top that's of your actually head? that's where I was going to say. Seeing this movie multiple times, it really does get better with each one. Because after the first viewing, I'm like, it would be somewhere in the middle for me. And then after the second viewing, I'm like, oh, it's maybe top three. Now I'm kind of saying like Ghost Protocol, the fourth one, the Burj Khalifa one. That's still my number one, but this is kind of battling it out with Rogue Nation for my number two now. And I mean, mm. I've seen it three times in a week. You know, who knows what it's going to be like when I see it seven times in two weeks. Um, but it's right up there for me. Like this movie just keeps getting better and better. You know what takes precedence in Colin's life, right? Like this is a man who has three very young children, a wife, a job, 
everything else, but he can clear nine hours to watch Tom Cruise. <laughs> I uh, told that to Jamie too. I mean, I got sick on my vacation last week. So yeah, a lot I'm sure of my you timed your sick well. Like. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I told her, I'm like, yeah, I basically spent an entire one of my paid work days watching Mission Impossible. Um, I'm looking here. So I rented the first one. I binned the second one and every other one after that I bought. You rented number two and bought every other one. That's what I thought, yeah. 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 Screw yeah. yeah, you, number so, two. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, number two is actually Jamie's favorite. Big surprise from the woman whose uh, favorite Batman movie is Batman and Robin. Come to um, come to Sydney and I will take you or get Jimmy to take you on a personal tour. I've been to uh, the ending location, as I said, and the, the bit when he like makes it out with Tandy Newton, that's like right next to the Opera House. I can go to that tomorrow uh, if you want me to. In all honesty, I mean, even though two is easily my least favorite, I still watch it all the time and I never complain if I have to put it on. I mean, it's just, it's nowhere near as good as the other ones. Um, you, you did mention something that we might be covering soon, which is Barbie. Oh, and Oppenheimer. Uh, and maybe Oppenheimer if we got a shot at it. Uh, but I mean, I just saw this week, uh, Paul Schrader, the guy who's the writer of Taxi Driver, which is considered one of the greatest movies of all time, has said that Oppenheimer is the greatest cinematic film of the decade or the the century he said so the decade so, three years old mate like- <laughs> <laughs> for the century uh i mean it's obviously it's three hours long so it's slightly longer than mission impossible dead reckoning and then you got barbie which talk about counter programming i mean I, i'm trying to remember which there was um the w- week that the day after tomorrow came out the day after tomorrow and whatever else was out that week that was like two weeks where two movies were both over like 70 million dollars we talked about that on the day after tomorrow uh, this may be like the next biggest where we're going to have like two movies, both over like 60, 70 million dollar opening weekends. Because often I remember this has basically become a, a joint marketing campaign. Like what is this? Barbenheimer yeah. is the newest thing where they're combining it. <laughs> uh, Adapt tomorrow. Uh, Shrek 2 was in second week. Was that? What oh, yeah. Maybe and like at? they were both over like 70, 80 million dollars. Yeah, Shrek 2 in its second week had 72 million Adapt tomorrow, 68 million. Uh, besides that, Raising Helen opened at 10 million. Uh, there you go. Um, yeah, I don't think, like, I know all these memes that are going on right now and they're sort of comparing it. They're going like big opening weekends where two films, like, whatever. But like, I have never seen two movies that are not directly related at all. Take out, take off like this for a promotion. I know it's not deliberate because yeah. they're two different studios, right? So this is clearly an internet meme sort of thing that's taken off, which I'm sure the filmmakers are absolutely loving. But like, I feel this is just going to help each other. Like, it's just it's incredible yeah. the promotion that this has kind of got. Even the fact that you literally have Tom Cruise like standing outside the cinema going, "Got my tickets, Oppenheimer. Got my tickets to Barbie." And like again, as we've said so many times about Barbie, this is not a movie that. I think six months ago, you and I were like, eh, okay, Barbie, sure, like, yeah. whatever. But, like, they've promoted this so goddamn well. And it's kind of like, I, I'm going to admit it, I think I'm more excited to see Barbie than Oppenheimer because <laughs> I love Christopher Nolan, but, again, his films are just sort of like, what are you going to get? Um, so, yeah, I I mean, at the time of recording this, we're about to start a Women's World Cup in this country and I'm going to be very busy for the next month or so, but I'm going to find time for three hours of Oppenheimer and, I don't know, probably three hours of Barbie. But I... I <laughs> I think almost like I kind of feel like we need to see them close to each other and kind of almost combine them. I know. Kind of have the Barbenheimer I, I, <laughs> I, want, I want to have a Barbenheimer day, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since I've seen two movies in a day as well. No time to die, I guess. But, um, yeah. You know, I thought that like it would be easy to convince Jamie to see Barbie. She's like, eh, really? I'm not really into it. I'm like, what? I'm more excited for Barbie than you are. Uh, and then Oppenheimer, uh, she's not really that interested in. But the funny thing is when we uh, saw one of the many times we've seen the Oppenheimer trailer, 
she turns to me, she goes, so is this like based on a true story? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, Jamie, <laughs> about Oppenheimer, the creator of the nuclear bomb. She goes, oh, and was there like some accident or something? I'm like, it was called Hiroshima and Nagasaki. <laughs> you can look it up. <laughs> I need to go back to school. Um, but because, I mean, these are really it until like Blue Beetle. We've got a bit of a gap after this. In yeah. Terms of- um, yeah, because I think there's the Expendables, but that's like at the end of the summer. And who even knows if that's going to be any decent. I won't see that. I think um, I'll, I'm need for speed. I'll probably go see that. Um, oh, Gran Turismo. Oh, Gran Turismo. <laughs> That the, the video without, game car so, movie. The one, the one without Jesse. <laughs> yeah, this one's got um, Orlando Bloom in it. Um, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm much, rather, much, rather, much rather him be in the one that I wouldn't go see versus I'd rather Aaron Paul in this because then Orlando Bloom can give Orlando him. Orlando Bloom's a poor man's Aaron Paul. Uh, he was famous 20 years ago and people have forgotten about him now. He'll be on the Oz <laughs> Network ne- next week. That's how, you know, not famous he is anymore. He's married to Katy Perry, though. That's, that's cool. Um, but... Yeah, and also um, this Saturday, Nip Tuck, the reunion. Yeah, big. It's been recorded. It's happening. It's this Saturday. Nick and I will also have a little bonus, little retrospective that we will have as well for that. And uh, Truman Show tomorrow, Colin. Yeah, anniversary month is almost closed and, and 24 as usual. Yes, and we Mondays. We're about to that. record our next episode for that uh, as soon as we hit stop on this one. Well, so. Five. This episode will self-destruct in five, four. <laughs> oh, that should be my closing line. I know you're oh, say well, that. I'm, ta- I'm taking it now. I'm taking it. <laughs> all right, you, you take it. You take it. Um, all right. So yeah, stay tuned for any of those exciting episodes and Barbenheimer uh, joint review coming soon. I'm sure. Um, my name is Colin, and a nuclear bomb is something you bother me with. And my name is Ben, and this closing line will self-destruct in three, two, one. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.